healing is in God's hands. Let's pray. Lord God, help us to learn about you, the healer, the healer. Lord, your word tells us that we needed healing, that we had gone astray, but by your stripes were healed. So we thank you for that. Thank you for the incredibleness uh, that somehow you could be contracted to a span and become man that you might die for us. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful for your grace, your mercy into our lives this morning. And so as we delve further into your word, may the words of my mouth, Lord Jesus, be your word to our souls this morning. Lord, may it be acceptable in your sight. May our meditations of you be sweet as your Holy Spirit ministers to each of us this time and always. Amen. Okay, this is our last in, the, in a series. Uh, I'm just wondering, because I've got a screen up here now and that's throwing me slightly. Uh, let me just take it back to... Uh, so I don't know who can see what, so I don't know what, who, everybody here can see three different screens and everybody at home, I don't know which they're seeing, so forgive me for that. So let me get to where there's nothing actually being said at the moment, that's easier. Okay, the last of the series on survival to revival. And uh, we, survival speaks for itself almost in, in these days. There's that sense of not being the best of times. Uh, I, I look at a, a, a congregation um, with people who are a little afraid maybe to come to church yet. Um, I look at people with, with masks, so I, I can't quite see all the, all the smiles, uh, all, all the groans of everything else that's taken. Thank you, one or two thumbs up, that's always encouraging. Um, and we're in a different world and there's a, a sadness, a difficulty, an illness, uh, a restriction, things that we don't like. And we know that it's been a time of, of loss as well and grieving. And many of these things are the conditions that, that we don't like, that we don't want to know. And so we've talked of moving from survival to revival in the sense that revival is, is God's kingdom. It's when the things of God are taking place, when God is changing things, when God is moving in community. And that is, is our prayer, our desire, and that's the, the reason for the series, that we'd have that sense that even in, in these times of survival, God is working and God is moving us towards revival. Now, you know, when we think about revival, we very often go to a, a verse in the Old Testament. Um, it, it's really not the case that there could be a, a prescription for revival, but we very often go to this verse. Um, it's gone again. There we go. If my people who are called by my name will pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Yeah? And we, we have this uh, knowledge that God tells us. This was a word to Solomon 
at, at the time of dedicating the temple. And there's that sense of, yeah, if you, my people, keep close to me, if you pray, if the things you do wrong, you repent of, then there'll be healing. And as we've just sung, God is, is the healer. But, you know, one of the conditions for revival almost seems to be the, the, the state of what's taken place. Revival has often come from dark times when things have been at their worst. And uh, Ian shared with us uh, about revival and, on Lewis and the, uh, the Outer Hebrides. And also we learnt about the, the Welsh revival, 1904-1905, with Evan Roberts. Uh, and these were difficult times for people. Uh, if we go back a little bit more in history to the 18th century, then we know about a revival that began uh, in England, led by George Whitfield, John Wesley. I've just put up a slide to look at what life was like then. Uh, there was drunkenness, there was gambling. Um, in England described as a vast casino. Uh, many people were in the workhouses and were told if you were a child, you were brought up in a workhouse, then 97% of those infants died as children. This was the situation in the, uh, in the 18th century. Uh, bear baiting, cop fighting. Tickets were sold for public executions. How strange. People wanted to go and watch others be killed. Uh, the slave trade was rampant. And while it brought financial gain for some, morally, the country was on a slide. We know that revival played a great part in the country, not breaking down into revolution. But you know, during this time, we read how the church had become increasingly liberal. How suddenly the things of God were watered down. That was the situation then. But what happens? We know in, uh, in, in Lewis, the two women were praying. Was it Peggy and Christine Smith? They prayed. God, do something about it. You see, they recognised that they couldn't do it themselves. That's when we turn to God. We look at the situation. We look at the situation, the mess that we're in. And that's when we begin to, to reach out to God. That's when we begin to pray. And uh, people have, have said things about prayer. This guy, A.T. Pearson, a 19th century uh, American pastor, and, uh, and becoming, he became a missionary, and he came into Spurgeon's tabernacle after Spurgeon and, and for a couple of years. Uh, and he studied mission. He studied revival. And his conclusion was there has never been a spiritual awakening in any country or locality that did not begin in united prayer. When the people get together to pray. Matthew Henry, known most for his Bible commentary, um, but in 1710 he produced this method for prayer. It's fantastic. I'm reading through that at the moment. And, uh, and not just comments on the Bible. Matthew Henry said, when God intends great mercy for his people, First, he sets them praying. I think there's a word there for us. We want to see a revival. We need to get praying. Spurgeon said something like, nothing's going to happen in church until the prayer meeting becomes the most important meeting. And I think Spurgeon had one or two good ideas, as we all know. Let me 
put that down. So, we know from the Bible, people prayed, things happened. Elijah, we're given as a, a, a model, because uh, Elijah and the rain and everything else, he prayed and it didn't rain, then he prayed and it did. And we're told how Elijah was a man just like us, but he prayed earnestly. He wasn't messing around when it came to prayer. What about Nehemiah? Though, and this is where we're going to pick up today on, uh, on Nehemiah. We know that uh, Nehemiah maybe invented arrow prayers. We talk about those today. This sort of prayer that you say something quickly when you're in a rush like Peter was about to sink. So he says, Lord, save me. Um, and we're told in, uh, it's in chapter 2 that uh, the, the king saw Nehemiah distressed. And so uh, he says, the king said to me, what is it you want? So he says, I prayed to the God and answered the king. And it seems like very instant. So Nehemiah arrow prayed. But more than that, and these are the verses I think we've got up here as well. Chapter 1. Uh, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Is this our type of prayer? Mourning, fasting, weeping because of the conditions, because of the situation. Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God. So Nehemiah had an idea of who God is all the way through the book. Nehemiah focuses on God, great and awesome, but he says there that we have not kept your commands, that we didn't obey. As from Moses, if you like, and, and in the wilderness onwards, we strayed from you, hence these are the conditions now. Moving away from God's way of things is what had caused the conditions that they were now living in. So what does Nehemiah tell us? Let's keep going. Chapter 4. Um, we know there was opposition. These guys, Sambalat and uh, Tobiah, they'd appeared in chapter 2. They continued into chapter 4 as well. They were giving opposition. And so what does Nehemiah do? He prays, hear us, O God, for we are despised. He's aware of the situation, Nehemiah, but he's praying. Again, more trouble in chapter 6. This is verse 9 of chapter 6. Uh, but I prayed, strengthen my hands. See, everything that was taking place, Nehemiah took it to God. He prayed. He said, God, why are you listening? We need you to change the situation. There was opposition to the building of the wall, but he knew that's what God had called him to do. Artaxerxes had released him to go and build the wall. God was in it. It was going to happen, and we know the wall was built. So, they built the wall, and along the way, things were taking place that were of revival rather than just, if you like, the conditions. So when you turn through the chapters, okay, there was opposition, but you also read that they were looking out for the poor. They'd started to do the good things that they needed to do, if you like. They were looking out for each other now. Ezra came along and read the law. Ezra had been exiled as well. He's an interesting chap. Uh, maybe uh, Ezra had had a, a family connection with the last priest. 
with the temple as it was in Jerusalem, uh, and he also had a connection with the, uh, with the second temple that was built. And so Ezra kind of forms that bridge and is a key figure in, in this part of history because it was Ezra who went back to read the law. Now then what happens when you read the law? Um, why do you read the law? Well, when we were looking at Romans uh, last year, we learned a lot about why that we have a law and that it's actually good for us and it's from God, so it must be good. But it basically tells us how to live, but even more, why we need a saviour. Because it tells us what we do wrong. And so after reading the law, that was the time for confession. Bear in mind the, if you like, the prescription for revival that we were given in Chronicles earlier. I, I, I wonder if Nehemiah had read it. He could well have done, because Solomon obviously was a, a few hundred years before Nehemiah. So may, maybe Nehemiah knew the formula, but certainly they were praying, they were confessing. And also verse 6, they were worshipping. Blessed be your glorious name. May your name be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone, O Lord, Everything is yours, Lord. You give life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. Wow. Words of Nehemiah. Fantastic. There's pictures there. Everyone needs to worship God. Everyone in heaven already is doing. So, that's chapter 9. We move on. Even at the end of chapter 9, though, notice that it wasn't like revival. Chapter nine, uh, Verse 36. We are slaves today. Okay. So, He'd gone back, they'd built the wall, but some of the conditions, yet yeah, weren't as they wanted them. We're slaves. We're told that because of our sins, wow, he's accepting that because of sin, there were consequences and the conditions. Because of our sins, these people are ruling over us, and it says we are in great distress. Note the timing, the wall's been built, but they're still in distress because the conditions were there. This wasn't their kingdom. Yes, it's the place where the kingdom had been in Jerusalem, but they were still being ruled over. The Persians were the bosses, and there were local leaders and all sorts of governors, like Sambalat and Tobiah, who we're going to come to, who were still around. So not ideal. However, next thing that they do, people are coming back. And once you've got that, everybody there, it's time to dedicate the walls. How did they do that? They did it with the choirs and the instruments and they get on the wall, one choir up on the wall one way, another choir going up on the wall and going another way and Ezra's there reading the law uh, and amidst all of this is the word joy. If we were to spend time in this chapter we'd see how the dedication of the wall was a very joyous, joyful event. Uh, on that day they offered sacrifices yeah, there's still acknowledgement of who God is, that's coming first. Rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. So the conditions weren't yet perfect, but there was something, some sign, some foretaste of things to come. The wall was now built, and so there was rejoicing. Wow, it's, uh, we, we long for that day. I, I, wouldn't it be fantastic that people in Wester Hales can hear 
the rejoicing that's taking place in, in Holy Trinity. They might not hear it just on a Sunday as well. Maybe even through the week, a rejoicing because of what God is doing. Okay, then you might have a chapter that, uh, headline that says Nehemiah's final reforms. And there's a couple of things. Nehemiah had been back to Persia for a while, we're told, back to the king. Uh, and he'd come back and one or two things weren't right. They, they, they weren't using the Sabbath right. They were selling stuff on the Sabbath. So Nehemiah placed a God, said, no, 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 no. God comes first. Let's get things right before God. And God's given you this rule that says, honour him with that Sabbath day, and the people weren't doing it. So that needed to be dealt with. Nehemiah did. Another one, he said, was, okay, you guys, a lot of you, now have foreign wives, and that is a mistake. For those of you who are online at the moment, you won't realise that Sonia is within touching distance, uh, and I, I do need to be careful. But you know that the big difference uh, is that Sonia loves the Lord. And... So she is with me in seeking to serve him. The, the man who gets the first mention is Solomon. Solomon had taken on all these wives. That's a bad move in the first place. But because they were wives from other places, they were bringing their culture with them. We know about Ahab, that's a, a king of, the, of Israel, the northern part. And he married Jezebel. She brought everything, family and gods and all sorts of things with her. And what happened? The, the, the people were turned away from God by compromise. As, as Cammy read, they, they weren't even learning their own language anymore. They, they, everything was being compromised. There was a liberalization of God's way. And so Nehemiah said, let's get rid of that. Let's clean the house, if you like. And so it, it might seem harsh, but it was because of the effects of the culture that things had gone wrong from the time of Solomon onwards by embracing foreign gods and, and cultures that aren't God's way things had gone wrong so Nehemiah said now is our chance these are the conditions let's move in towards revival and that means that we will then be right with God just one quick note on Tobiah and Sambalat because they appear in the last chapter it's fantastic because uh, Eliashib the, the priest there had, uh, had found a place for Tobiah, a nice sort of cushy number. When, uh, when Nehemiah found that, he drove him out. And then they found out that Sambalat, I think it was one of his daughters, had married also into Eliashib's family. And so they got thrown out as well. And so it's funny how these two conspirators, all the way through, the ones who've been causing the issues, appear in the final chapter. No part there in Jerusalem for them. So there was a cleansing, a purifying. Uh, when I was preparing uh, for, for this week on a, on a hill, I felt the Lord was telling me that his word for today was revere my name. Revere my name. If we pick up nothing else today, uh, I hope it's that, that we have that, that sense. God is saying, revere my name. And so when uh, he had said that Colleen, for a final song, had chosen restore Oh Lord, the honour of your name. I thought, amen. There's a little bit of confirmation there. Um, what did we miss out? You might have noticed there was a little bit of missing out on the prescription from Chronicles when uh, it was said about if my people who are called by my name will humble 
themselves. All the way through, Nehemiah recognized who God was and who he is. And that's one of the reasons why things changed. Let's look at the conditions. Sorry, this, uh, that's verse one, the conditions of uh, are where we are today. Growth of humanism, 1933, the humanist society say, we don't need God. The abandonment of truth. Um, uh, Ian mentioned Packer had died recently, as did uh, Ravi Zacharias. He used to say that the only absolute truth these days is that there's no absolute truth. In other words, we, truth is what you want it to be. And yet Jesus is the truth. Liberalisation of law, witchcraft 1951, the abortion law changed in 67, euthanasia is still illegal in this country but not in other parts of Europe. The hate crime bill could mean that we're no longer able to say Jesus is Lord. The, we can't say the Bible is the word of God as if there's only one God. Um, gender identity, well, Sonia mentioned the case of a, a, a child who is going through uh, issues with gender and trying to work out which gender they may be among one of, I think it's 22 plus now. Uh, and so parents are supporting with hormone treatments uh, to help this child identify where he might fit somewhere on this spectrum. Uh, the child is nine. Um, these are the sad things that are taking place. What did Nehemiah do? He said, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. I think a reverence for God's name is the first stage. And then from there, we begin to pray. And as we pray, then we begin to see God moving. What we see at the moment are foretastes, or glimpses of revival. But are we praying because we need to see God change our community? I'm going to close with a, an illustration. Uh, and when I thought of this, it came, it came in the night, and I wasn't quite sure of the connection. Um, but I think there's something in there. It goes back to days of um, uh, my, my doctrine tutor, 30 plus years ago, and he was taking the Thursday evening devotions. And he was reading from Habakkuk, uh, and it was Thanksgiving, I'll look at Sonia, because it was Thanksgiving this week, obviously, on Thursday, and this was Thanksgiving evening. And from Habakkuk, he was giving us that last chapter three, though the fig tree doesn't blossom, and all the rest, no grapes on the vine, no cattle in the stall. The conditions were bad. And at this point, the tears were there. He was weeping as he was talking to us. And we didn't know what it was, but this, uh, the genuineness that was there told us his awareness of the conditions was such, somehow something needed to change. And that next verse says, yet I will trust God. He's the one who enables me to stand on the heights, gives me the feet of a deer. Yeah, on the height we begin to see where God is because we've got that vision. On the, the, the feet of the deer, that strength, that stability, that firmness of, of foot. And you know, I, I think this is, a, is a, if you like, is a message. Whatever the conditions, those are, those are what drive us to looking for God. And then as we trust him, then we know he is the one who'll help us to see the way forward. These people who were praying into revival could see 
how God was going to change things. And that is our desire, that by his spirit, he will change things. He will change this land of, of, of Scotland. He will change Wester Hales. He will change us. And, and do you know what the hymn said? Uh, it was Edwin Orr last century, or the century before rather now. Um, uh, oh, Holy Ghost, revival comes from thee. Send a revival. Start the work in me. Maybe you've got that voice this morning from the Holy Spirit saying, pray, saying, revere my name. And our response to that is, amen. Bring it on. Bring your revival as we turn to you. Let's pray. Father God, even at this time, by your spirit, still our hearts. But Lord, pour your spirit in with a burning fire that says that we won't settle for the conditions as they are because we need to see you change things. Lord, from a position of revival, will you send revival? We can't do it ourselves. Lord Jesus, that is why we ask you. That is why we turn to you. Lord, help us to know the things that we need to repent of. Your law tells us that we get it wrong. We know as your people we get it wrong. But in your mercy, you hear our prayer. Lord Jesus, will you send revival of your ways into Westerhales in your time for your glory? May we see lives changed by your gospel in these days. Amen.